All right, what's up everybody? This is Hunter Williams. Today is going to be episode 56 of the NeuroEdge podcast and I have a really, really cool guest today from the land down under in Australia. His name is Adam Meredith. He is a chiropractor and he's also the creator and inventor of a device called the Migraine Stopper. So I am really looking forward to picking his brain, getting to learn more about migraines, how we can just use new biohacking techniques and anything like that related to uh, our health and wellness to help improve migraines and just improve overall health and wellness in general. So Adam, how you doing, man? I am well, and thank you for having me, Hunter. Awesome. Well, just tell us a little bit about your background, history, and how you got into the chiropractic slash biohacking world, and then also what you do with migraines. Excellent. So uh, chiropractic was easy. I actually broke my back barefoot water skiing. So I was about 21, and it wasn't a break where you uh, have nerve damage, but it was a crush fracture. And from that, I went to a chiropractor, got better, and then I became a chiropractor about five years later. So I was doing chiropractic for 20 years uh, in Sydney, Australia, and I actually just retired from chiropractic uh, February of this year. That was after 20 years of treating clients. I also run a sports scientist practice. So we have a DEXA scan machine, which does body composition, and we measure metabolism as well. Uh, and then we do a lot of dietary advice and body composition advice. And of course, I um, invented the migraine stopper, which is the a really clever biohack for people that suffer migraines. Awesome. Well, I would love to talk about sports and stuff too, but since we're on the topic of migraines, what causes migraines? What are migraines? And like what in the world, because obviously millions, probably hundreds of millions of people suffer from them. What causes them? Or are there a bunch of different causes? Yeah, so it's actually one in seven. So it's almost a billion. So it's a huge problem. It's a huge amount of suffering. Um, and the jury's out on what is completely happening with migraines because they're very, very complicated and they seem to be in multi areas of the brain. So originally, a lot of people know it as a vascular disorder, so a disease of blood vessels, but it turns out that it's actually a neurological disorder. And in a broad overview, it's a brain hyperexcitability disorder. So normal stimuluses, uh, things inside the body and things outside the body, which you and I, who don't get migraines, just record in our brains, those stimulus get recorded by the migraine brain and they, that causes the brain to become hyperexcitable. And that hyperexcitation leads to the cascade of all the symptoms that a migraine goes through. Wow. And because I have never personally really suffered from migraines or thank goodness even that many headaches for that matter. Um, but mm -hmm. what does someone experience when they have a migraine? And obviously there's probably a spectrum, um, but just in general, what does that feel like if someone has never, just to give context? Yeah, so um, they are truly horrible and truly debilitating. People think they're headaches, but headache is just one of the symptoms. So they're a neurological crisis. Um, they range from about four to 72 hours. So it's quite variable from a couple of hours to a couple of days. And the hallmarks are generally light sensitivity or sound or smell sensitivity, uh, followed by incredible head pain. But the overriding thing when you talk to migraine people is, they just feel miserable, want to be alone, generally in a dark, cold room and suffering. So there's physical pain, but there's also this very large uh, emotional, uh, overwhelmed sort of sensation to migraines as well. If you've got a headache that's really bad, you can still work. If you have a migraine that's bad, you cannot work. You have, you just shut down. Yeah. 
and as far as like in the medical history, just because I have I have no knowledge of this, is this something that is a pretty recent phenomenon, or does this go back centuries that humans have been suffering from this? Yeah, I'll, I have to double check, but I think Caesar had them, so that's going back a while, and they have certainly popped up in the literature over hundreds of years for sure, so they have been around, but I don't believe they've been around um, as prevalent as they are now, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later, but the modern lifestyle does not help a migraine brain. Yeah, well, I was just thinking that because obviously there's rampant inflammation and chronic disease in the industrialized world today. Um, but you look at migraines, that's not something necessarily, I'm sure it doesn't help being in the industrialized type world we have. Uh, you know, I agree. Pollution and everything. Uh, but it's something that I think is science and the frontiers of knowledge keep getting further. Hopefully we can kind of get a better grip on because it's obviously something that humans have struggled with for a long time. Agreed, agreed. Uh, cool. Well, I was also going to say, um, if you had, like, if you have some of the migraines, is there like first steps that you go through that you look at their lifestyle, diet, exercise, anything like that before you try to drill down and understand the cause? Um, are there certain baselines that people want to make sure that they're taking care of if they're experiencing migraines? Yeah, so the migraine brain doesn't like changes. So um, you the term homeostasis, right? It means maintaining equilibrium regardless of the external environment. So when a migraine client comes in, um, you want to make sure that their sleep is dialed in. Uh, you want to make sure that their stress levels is dialed in, dialed in as much as you can. And you definitely, what they definitely seem to do better if they eat regularly and they do regular things at regular times because it's all about homeostasis. They have trouble maintaining it. And when things hit them left and right, like a poor night's sleep or a stressful event, that is enough to make this brain, which is already a bit prone to being excitable, super hyper excitable, and then the, the migraine cascade occurs. So if I had you know, two seconds with someone and they said, I want to do some lifestyle things, you've got to live a nice, moderate, well-routine lifestyle, which is pretty boring, by the way. And I really, I really like my migraine stopper to give it to the patients and let them get some sort of... Uh, you know, normal assemblers. They don't have to be so routine and regimented, but they generally don't like extremes of anything, including late nights, including too much alcohol. Anything like that generally throws their brains off. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that too. Does our circadian rhythm, so how we are aligned with our circadian rhythm, is that affected? Does it cause it or does it just make it worse for people that are more prone to experience them? Look, circadian rhythm is huge for health and it's really huge for migraineurs. So it's really odd, it's a paradox. Sleep too little and the migraineurs get a migraine. Sleep too much and they get a migraine. So too little, too much. There's a really cool study only recently where they measured uh, how out of phase the circadian rhythm was for the migraine person. And basically the more out the circadian rhythm, the more painful the migraine and the more frequent the migraine. So we know for a fact that it is absolutely established to circadian rhythms and sleep cycles. Um, and that's why we'll talk a lot about blue light. It's huge for migraineurs. Yeah, well, I was going to wonder that as well. And one thing, I just read a book recently that I've been on a huge kick on is uh, actually grounding and earthing. So being in direct contact with the earth's surface. And I've noticed I've probably been doing it regularly where I try to at least get barefoot on the ground every day for you know, 40 minutes to an hour, uh, probably for about 
eight months now since I read the book and I've really been making that a practice. And I don't know the best way to explain it other than it, you just feel more in sync with like sunrise and then sunset. And it's much easier for me to go to bed when the sun goes down instead of staying up way past, you know, like four or five hours past when the sun goes down. And then I'm up in the morning and I've always been more of a morning person, but it just seems easier to kind of get into sync with that. So I think there's kind of, again, in our industrialized world, there's a lot of things that throw that off. And it's more, you have to be super cognizant of it in this day and age of Correct. planning your circadian rhythm. Um, and I'm sure as a chiropractor, you experience like all sorts of different things with people. Well, I'm, I'm barefoot every day for the last eight years. There's not one day I don't take my dog. I've actually got a Boston Terrier, which um, coincidentally, is, a, is America's natural dog, I just found out. So my little <laughs> dog and I, for the last 10 years now, so he's 10 years old, are barefoot every day in the park when the sun comes up. It's absolutely vital. And the science behind grounding is very, very clear as far as thinning your blood and actually getting connected to the ground and the, is it the Sherman resonance and all that stuff. It's all, it's all very, very true. If you go to my website, there's a 60-day migraine challenge. And one of the things is to get morning sunlight for 15 minutes every day as part of the migraine treatment just to train their brains back into the circadian rhythm and we'll definitely delve into that a little deeper later okay well as far as the migraine stoppers goes is that something just in being a chiropractor for 20 years did you where did the idea come from and how did uh -huh. spark one day when you're like man i've got all these people coming in and they have migraines um how did that come to be? Come yeah, um, I'd like to say, Hunter, it was my genius mind at work, but it wasn't. I read a, well, actually, a, a colleague handed me a study. It was done in, um, I think, 2013, and I think it was 2014, 15 when I read it. And he said, hey, check this. There's this chiropractor, and I think it was a Canadian, and he was putting air into the ear of patients. And here's a case study of 13 people that he did it on. Um, and we read it and there was six chiros that worked with me and we were just blown away that air in the ear could turn off migraines. Now, chiros have a very high neurological knowledge. We spent five years understanding neurology, so it all made sense to us. So we just started to replicate that on our clients. So we sent out an email that said, if you've got migraines, come in. And people did. And we put the air in their ear and we got amazing results straight away, which, were, which replicated the results from the, the small a pilot study that was published. So that's how it came about. And then of course, my patients were like, well, I can't call you on Sundays. I can't call you after hours. I can't call you at 3 a.m. when I get woken by a migraine. So that all I did, it wasn't that clever. I just turned it into a device that was lightweight and portable that people could carry with them. And as soon as they had a sensation of a migraine, boom, they could start the procedure on themselves. Sweet. As the mechanism goes, so I guess it goes into their ear. As far as like the pathways and stuff, is there a certain, what's the mechanism behind it and what's going in our brains? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a fluke of anatomy. It just so happens that in the ear canal and the eardrum, there's three or four nerves that supply the area. So you know every part of your body is supplied by a nerve. Um, and the two big players in there are um, the vagus nerve and the trigeminal nerve. And we've known, and you know, chiros know this, and we've known for many decades that the vagus nerve and the trigeminal nerve are intimately involved in migraines, and in fact can be manipulated uh, to help migraine patients. And of course, the original manipulation was uh, electrical current. So they've been running electrical currents through the trigeminal nerve or the vagus nerve for you know, decades now. 
But the cool thing about the migraine stopper in the ear is both are in there. So when you put the uh, pump in the ear and you start to activate, and the patient activates it themselves just with manual hand pressure, that creates positive and negative ear pressure in the ear canal. It's very gentle and very controlled, and that's the machine I built. Well, when you do that, the ear canal moves a little and the eardrum flexes a little, and that stimulates the vagus and the trigeminal nerve and the stimulation of those two nerves, and they're, they're actually cranial nerves, so they're from the brain, that happens to turn off the migraine. Awesome. Well, I was ask you too, just because I've been studying up on this a little bit myself. Um, so our vagus nerve is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that kind of what controls our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system response, and then is there any way, and obviously this device helps too, um, a lot of people in today's age are probably overstimulating their sympathetic nervous system and are all in a state and um, just kind of how that plays into migraines overall. Yeah, so obviously we started it for migraines and then it's clients were using it for cluster headaches and clients were also using it for trigeminal neuralgia, which is really painful, uh, you know, face pain. But I've actually had practitioners ring me up from people that deal with autistic children right up to uh, functional neurologists and chiropractic who are using it purely as a vagal stimulator. And, and you're right, everyone is generally sympathetically dominant. And the vagus nerve is your rest and digest, it's your big parasympathetic nerve. So when you activate the vagus nerve, you calm the body down and everybody can probably do with having that. So although we designed it for migraines, people are approaching me to use it as a vagus stimulator and pop it into their ears to stimulate their vagus nerves to calm down their bodies just for health reasons. Yeah, that's really cool. And it's something that I think I would even use personally just to kind of de-stress. I don't know if like mornings or I guess at any time would be good, but it might be better even like going into sleep. Uh, but that sounds something that's really cool, especially just because. Uh, absolutely. And look, people also have to realize if you hum sing laugh or get a hug that'll also activate your parasympathetic um and of course ice baths um anything from dunking your face into cold water to get into ice bath that wildly um activates the parasympathetic nerve so that when you get out of the cold water you'll have a massive relaxation so those things plus the migraine stopper can all calm the vagus nerve yeah i was gonna ask you too so with the cold water is that something that helps Migraines, because I try to take cold showers every day um, if I can do like cold water submersion. Um, is that something yeah. that helps? I guess it might be more in tune with like, yeah. the system. No, no, we get, we get patients to cold face dunk and they tell me that helps them. And there was an article um, in a British television show, I think, or a magazine, and uh, it was just a one case study, but this uh, individual had very bad migraines and jumped in the cold water specifically to treat it and got a great result. And that being true, I presume he stimulated the vagus nerve, and we know that vagus nerve stimulation has a great effect on migraines, and that's, of course, half of why the migraine stopper works. So I'm all for it. We were talking about biohacking before. I've got a 700-liter Westinghouse freezer on my balcony, full of water dialed in at four degrees, and um, I've been a bit of a chicken lately, but for the about two months ago, for three months in a row, I did it four or five times a week. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's winter for you guys there right now, right? So if you find this harder, 
to try to jump in the cold water when it's winter versus summer. Because summer it's easy because it's like hot outside and so I jump in cold water. I know like when it's cold outside for me, I jump in cold water, I'm like, you know, like, man, I'm already freezing, I don't want to do it. But the long light cycles and the heat make it easier. But what I do in winter is I go just in my shorts and a tank top and I walk at six, you know, sunrise with my dog, no shoes on. So I am still cold and still getting the effects of the vagus nerve stimulation. Awesome. Well, as far as just kind of getting into the biohacking side of things, have you noticed anything that you use in conjunction with the migraine stopper that helps? So like red light therapy, anything like that, that can kind of amplify the effects of it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, red light therapy is huge because of its effect on stimulating the mitochondria. And we know that after the migraine attack, generally the mitochondria in the brain is fried. And that's why if you live with a migraine person, you'll often know they're about to get it because they just go a little off. Um, obviously, you know when they do have it because it's so dramatic. But you'll often find, and husbands and wives tell me that their partners are just off for two or three days. That's because after the event, your brain's fried and the mitochondria in your brain is uh, probably not firing up as well. So things like red light therapy are an absolutely perfect adjunct to the therapy. And just the general uh, circadian lifestyle will help uh, boost it. And, you know, being healthy, happy, and eating well will boost it. And we know that for any modality, man. Like for any modality, if I get a client that's very upbeat, they're, regardless of what they're coming in for, their response will generally be better than someone that's depressed or down on their luck. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think there's something to that too. Like in... If you actually believe in whatever kind of health state you're in, but if you actually believe that the power is there to heal you to get better, that's like half the battle, or probably even more than half the battle than just saying like, oh, the end of the world. So it's like some people you actually have to make that change in your brain that you're just going to refuse to let it happen. Not to say that you won't struggle with it, but I think there's definitely something to that. And especially, you probably know dealing with a lot of athletes in the past, like there's, there's a huge mental component into it as well. 100%. And uh, I remember a famous case, I used to, when I was lecturing, uni, used to say that it was two mates that came in and were treating them for knees, they were basketballers. And they both had similar injuries at similar times and they were very high level. And um, after treating them, one came in and I said, how's it going? He says, fantastic. It only hurt once uh, out of the five games I played. And he was like really super positive and off he went. The other guy came and said the same thing. He goes, it's no good. Within those five games, it was still sore for one of them. And so it was the same, same thing. But the guy, one guy just went better and better and better, and one guy just went worse and worse. And we know about psychoimmunology. We know that the brain affects the immune system. We know the brain affects the way the body works. So mindset is very, very important. And they kind of poo-poo it a bit in medicine. They call it oh, placebo, let's get rid of it. I don't call it placebo, I call it the effects of therapy. Now, one of the effects of therapy when you use the migraine stopper is that we know it stimulates nerves. But there's other effects too, the way that you interact with the patient, the patient's belief in the system, um, the way that you listen to someone about their problems. This is, I don't like the term placebo, I like the term therapy effects. So when someone comes to me for any ailment and I listen to them show care and they think, I think this guy might be able to help me, these are the effects of therapy and they're all therapeutic and they're all healing for the ultimate goal and to be quite honest if there was just a placebo effect with migraine software and there's a lot more but just say it was placebo and 30 and those 30 percent of migraine sufferers never took meds again 
and they used the migraine stuff, but it was placebo, but they didn't get migraines, I would still call that a massive win. Yeah, placebo. <laughs> if it works, it works. You know, like it's, if whatever, Absolutely. especially if you're someone that's a severe migraine sufferer, like you can call it whatever you want, but if you, if you can just get them away and out of your life, um, the power and freedom and being able to have that is huge. Um, 100%. And because in particular migraines, it's a brain hyperexcitability disorder, well, we know that good thoughts and calm environments and nurturing yourself are going to actually decrease the um, excitability of anyone's brain, let alone a migraine. It's just, so it's all positive. You know, I don't, that's why I don't like placebo. We just call it clinical effects or therapeutic effects or looking after yourself to get better. Placebo has got like a bad term, a bad connotation to it. Like it's in your head. It's, it is in your head <laughs> and your head can control the way that your body responds. Yeah, well, just for whatever reason, when I think of, when I hear the word placebo, you immediately think of like pharmaceutical industry, like controlled trials and saying like, like chalking it up to, oh, something happened, but we don't really know what it does, rather than actually like looking at, okay, what's the evidence there that something is actually working? And then how do we extract what's actually working to- Agreed. People's lives better, you know. <laughs> and Hunter, it's high. It's 30% of the population gets this response. Let's look into it. Yeah, exactly. For sure. But what's cool too that I wanted to uh, talk to you about, because I was actually just yesterday on another podcast uh, talking with a guy um, that his company has a device, and this is more for like muscle healing, but it's the same mm -hmm. it uses harmonic frequencies to cool. heal muscle tissue and everything. Um, so just talk about obviously the migraine stopper employs that kind of mechanism. Um, just overall, what science will go, because I don't think like historically this has been a huge thing, like how sound healing, harmonic frequency, wavelength, like what the future of that looks like and how beneficial it can be to our body. We might not know about yet. So you, you've stumped me on that one, Hunter. I know, I know a lot about biohacking, but I don't know anything about sound therapy. So okay. I, couldn't, I, I couldn't really comment on it, but I'd, I'd try it, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I just think it's probably something that as, you know, in the next 10 years will be on the frontier of like, this one uh, apparently, it, uh, this device that like breaks up micro plaque in your arteries and everything. So it helps with blood flow, um, but it does it through like sound pulsation. So um, I haven't tried the device myself, but um, it's kind of interesting that just back to back days I was talking to someone because it's kind of the same. All that stuff's interesting, all of it. Um, one thing I did want to ask you too, just because you're a chiropractor, so you kind of have this along with migraines. Do you think <laughs> and spinal health plays into someone having migraines or some people are going to have it, some people won't, um, how that kind of interplays? Yeah, 100%. So if you actually Google us, our strap line is we fix posture. So of all the different types of chiropractic out there, then, you know, there's sports and pediatrics. And we actually concentrated solely on posture and all our patients have before and after posture photos that's how we track our patients it's got a huge effect on migraine so before the migraine stopper i was very successful in treating a lot of migraine people by manipulating their neck and changing their posture so we talk about those two nerves the trigeminal nerve and the vagus nerve so they all feed into a part of the brain um, and so it's in the brain stem and this area is what's overactive okay in migraineers so the trigeminal nerve goes into it and the vagus nerve goes into it but also the nerves from the upper neck go into it 
So if you've got migraines and it's probably it's predominantly from the upper nerves in the neck going into this this place, this trigeminal nucleus, the brainstem, and those nerves are acting too much, or you've got increased excitation and now you've got the migraines. So when people say, yeah, is the neck involved? Yeah, 100%. There's three major nerves, trigeminal, vagus, and the upper cervical nerves, because they all go to the same part of the brainstem, which is the area that gets too excited for migraines. So you can calm down a migraine by looking at those three nerves. So I will always look at a client's neck as well as the trigeminal and vagus nerves. Yeah, I think another thing too, if you look at just the average person, if they have an office job, or even if you have a manual labor job, how easy it is for your spinal column to get out of whack and your posture oh, yes. whack. And I know it's something like I have to be on guard against because you can catch yourself sitting for a long period of time and just how unhealthy that is. But then the second and third order consequences of that where you may be like in a bad position and then your posture, and then like over time, this years of buildup, um, how that can lead to problems. Oh, absolutely. Look, we, we actually know that spinal movement sends impulses to the back of the brain, the cerebellum, like a generator, like electricity to a generator. And the more spinal movement you have because you move a lot and because your spine can move, because it's been regularly looked after, the more electricity you've got going to your brain. So people don't realize that, but if people that get regularly adjusted often say, well, I feel like I've got more energy. And one of the things is the spine, which is a generator that produces uh, what they call afro-import, but you can think of it as electricity to the brain, lights up the brain like a Christmas tree. The more movement, the brighter that Christmas tree. Um, and you can see that. You see people that are kind of shut down. They're not particularly animated. They don't move very well. They don't, they're not very well coordinated. That's part of the reason why. Posture also increases the oxygenation in your blood. That's absolutely proven. Lowers blood pressure and it has hormonal effects. So, yeah, there's very good reasons to have great posture. I love looking. I love anthropology. I like looking up when white man meets tribal people for the first time because these are still people living in the wild as we were intended. Their postures are impeccable and they're not doing Pilates. You know, this is just naturally how you're supposed to be when your neurology works properly. And um, you, know, you watch a two-year-old child squat, it's perfect. But in my sports science practice, I'm trying to teach 25-year-olds how to squat. This is innate to us. You've got the neurology for it, but we lose it as we lose our passion from our crazy lifestyles of being seated all day. Yeah, I think there's something to that too of like, uh, I don't know what the best term would be for it, but like neuromuscular skeletal awareness. So you look at someone like in a tribal setting or something like that, where you're very yep. engaged with your body and you understand movement of your body through space. So you understand yes. control and everything. And I think that's something that, especially in the last probably couple hundred years we've really lost touch with is being able to control your body through space and the actual health consequences of that and kind of disease inflammation and everything of not being able to do that which is why it's so important to exercise exercise properly and uh, as much as we can I think what's cool about biohacking is it's it's using technology and science but also kind of merging us with how we were probably supposed to live ancestrally and so yes if we can take the best of both worlds, like emerging science and everything, but also understand that part of it is living as much as we can in ancestral lifestyle, because that's, we've only lived like this for a few hundred years. We live like that for hundreds of thousands of years. So that's what is going to help us 
function at the highest level, you know. I 100% agree. And sometimes to some of my mates now we biohack and they're like, you know, is this super physiological? Are we like beast now? It's like, no, we've been sub physiological for so long that we don't understand that normal is actually quite amazing. And do you know how you know we were amazing? Because we competed with tigers and lions and we're still here today. We're the descendants of cave people that kicked ass out there in the wilderness. Yeah, it was, it's, it's kind of to our detriment too, because our ancestors, I think about this all the time, did fight lions, tigers. We were in like warrior battles and whatever. And then today's age, like that same energy, if someone cuts us off in traffic or we get an email that stresses us out or something, Correct. that response into it, but then there's no outlet because that goes over a long period of time instead of just being yes. like that second to minute instance and then it's over. 100% and we know that the stress response is supposed to be acute. It's whilst the tiger's chasing you, but you get a stress response if you can't pay a bill. You get a stress response if you don't like your boss. So it's chronic and then like you said, there's no physical outlet. When you get the acute response and the tiger is about to get you, you physically run and everything is designed for that and then it stops and then your homeostasis goes back to normal. But we get this chronic application and we never get the physical um, expression of it. You just sit there and you know suffer in silence. It's horrible. You, I really like your point about biohacking. After biohacking for about six years now, you realize very quickly it's just getting us back to the wild. We really are domesticated creatures in certain ways. It's almost like to an extent, you know, like we become so civil, it's almost to our detriment. And uh, I think oh, 100%. more in touch with that, we're healthier overall. <laughs> It's true. And when you do start grounding and when you do start watching the morning sun and I wear my, um, my blue blockers, I haven't got one today cause it's a bit weird, but as soon as the sun goes down, I put my blue blockers, you do start to go into a bit of a rhythm where you start to seem to be a bit more intuitive about your body and a bit more intuitive about what you should eat and what you should do. And we've, we've lost that dramatically, dramatically. Um, I was talking about squatting before. I, I remember I was doing a, a, a lecture in Shanghai on posture to um, Shanghainese orthopedic surgeons, right? Which is really, really cool because the first time I've done a lecture where it got translated into Chinese and, you know, and then. And as on the way there, there's about 20 really old people about in the 80s and they're all squatting on the ground. And I said to the guy that was looking after me, what are they doing? And he said, and I kid you not, resting. You're actually supposed to rest when you squat. That's how powerful it is. So when we were manipulating tools or skinning a hide or gutting a fish, you were supposed to do that resting in that squatting position. That's how far we've gone from this. And think about how many actually can even rest in a squatting position. They can't let alone, even squat. Yeah, exactly. Let alone even you get there. Yeah. And then I think about too, um, I haven't researched a lot, but I've heard it before, is when we take, when we are doing a bowel movement, like a lot of our toilets are like way up and how our digestive system is actually like intended to actually be in that squat position. Um, not something I've really like experienced with, but I think about that too from, you know, talking about squatting. Yeah, no, I've read that. And you can actually make an attachment to your toilet so you can actually squat on your loo. I haven't done it, but I've, I've I'm going to, I'm going to check it out. Just, because it's, it's not permanent. You just whack it around your toilet, squat and see what happens. But I think it'll be a better experience. Yeah. I did want to ask you too, and this is kind of a little off topic, but something just because I have played 
football in the past, so I've had my fair share of concussions, to say the least. Um, oh, yeah. A migraine stopper. So I have family members that still play football. Um, is it something that can help with concussions or traumatic brain injury or something like that? Um, do you think it can yeah. like it, the headache that you would get? Yeah, I honestly couldn't comment on that. I've never, ever thought about concussions, but concussions are serious. And I would definitely get someone to check them out. But um, I don't know of any application for the migraine stop before concussion. Okay. That would be outside my scope. Yeah, it's probably, I was just curious because I remember playing football, you would like wake up. Uh, that's probably the closest thing I've had to a migraine is you'd wake up the next day and your head would just be kind of spinning and throbbing. Um, obviously, That's terrible. <laughs> then uh, migraine. Um, kind of going back to the exercise, though, do you find that there's any certain type of exercise that helps more or less with migraines? So, like strength training, cardio, high intensity interval training? Yeah, look, they have done a lot of studies in that, like what's the best type. Um, I'm a big fan of, you know, 10 to 15,000 steps a day for everyone, regardless. But for migraines, I like it because it's soothing and it's gentle. And again, it goes back to the homeostasis. They don't like to be knocked out of homeostasis and it happens quickly. So walking is a great fat burner. People don't really appreciate how you are designed to walk and to utilize fat. So I like them to walk a lot. And as far as exercising, I, with my migraine patients, it's like, what do you love to do? And what do you know you can tolerate? And if they can tolerate it, I've never said to them, hey, don't do it. Um, you know, if you've got a migraine and you're into boxing and you're getting punched in the head a lot, uh, that would be a no because yeah. of the That would obviously be a no. Um, but if you enjoy it and it's not causing migraines, and there's many things you can do, uh, I would say do whatever that you enjoy for sure. But everyone should walk 10 to 15,000 steps a day every day. Yeah, I think that's something to like, like the ancestral living part. That's just innate in our body to be able to do that. And so many times, yes. you know, me, especially if it's a day like where I'm sitting a lot, I try to make sure like at least every hour to 90 minutes, like take like a half mile walk just to get moving, get the blood flow going. And then obviously if you're wanting to perform mentally at a high level too, um, that's really crucial that you have blood flow, you have you know, movement going throughout your body. And everything absolutely um with the sitting though what what the studies do show is that getting up every 15 minutes even if it's just for a minute has massive benefits than say doing three hours and then going to the gym and back so we definitely get all our migraine patients to set a little reminder or get a nap every 15 20 minutes get up just walk around your desk sit down that's very very useful um, and definitely standing desks are very very useful we are designed to stand or squat, not to sit. Yeah, well, I've actually noticed, so uh, since I've been at home, because everything has been on lockdown recently, uh, yep. try to incorporate more, like, movement throughout the day. And I've noticed, like, I'll try to do, like, every 30 minutes to an hour, like, 10 burpees, do kettlebell swings, and then take a walk. Actually, how much more energy I have. And I don't know, yes. like, a blood flow thing or something going on there, um, but as opposed to, I mean, that's, again, that's how we're wired to, to be able to live. 100%. This concept of not doing much and then smashing yourself at the gym and feeling proud if uh, A, you puke, or B, you're so tired, you don't know what's going on, that is not health. And that is not what cave people did. And that's not what we're designed to. You're right. It was 
regular movement throughout the day. And they know that the average cave person spent about 17 to 20 hours a week in the pursuit of food. The rest of the time they were just lounging around, painting, you know, fornicating. I don't know what they were doing, but they were doing these 10 hours a day stuck behind a desk under artificial light, not grounded. No way. Uh, that's another thing too, um, I wanted to ask you about. Uh, as far as artificial light goes, do you feel that that has an impact on migraine? So like sitting in an office where you have the fluorescent light on you all day for 10 hours? Yeah, so when I first started to read about light, I was like, yeah, nah, not really. I'm sure I'm, I'm, sure I'm tired because I haven't got my diet dialed in. Light is one of the most powerful things that can ruin your health, unfortunately. Specifically to migraines, I'm glad we brought this up. Blue light is a double threat to migraineers. One, we know that blue light upsets your circadian rhythm, and we know that migraineers' circadian rhythms are further out, the worse their migraines. If they sleep too much, they sleep too little, they get migraines. So blue light will stuff up your circadian rhythm. But secondly, secondarily to that, it directly affects your migraines. So if you get a blind migraine sufferer, and you flash blue light into their eye, they won't know that you're doing it, because obviously because they're blind. But melanopsin, which is a protein in your retina, will pick up that blue light and signal to your brain through that trigeminal nerve, which is that nerve that we've been talking about you know, over and over, and that will increase the likelihood of your migraine. So if you flash this light, this blue light, into a blind migraine's eye, the intensity of their migraine increases. So everyone's like, when they think about their eyes, they think about light coming in and seeing. But there's a whole system with this melanopsin, which was only recently discovered, that the blue light activates it and that sets up the entire circadian rhythm. Because every organ and every cell in your body has a clock and the only way it knows what time it is, is through um, this melanopsin system in the back of your eye. So blue light is horrible. You said to me before, do you think migraines are more prevalent now? Yes, I do. And we said generically about the industrial lifestyle, but very much so because of the blue light from artificial light, which is all indoor lights, smartphones, televisions, laptops, computers. It's one of the biggest things I tell my migraineers to do is to block all blue light, light block all blue light throughout the day and definitely block blue light at night as soon as the sun goes down so that at least your brain thinks it's nighttime which it is and then as soon as they get up go outside and get the morning sunlight to reset the circadian rhythms i think it's absolutely crucial yeah that's a good point too uh, not only obviously people know that blue light before bed is bad but the importance of getting exposed to blue light from the sun, that spectrum of blue light in the morning to help yes. the circadian rhythm to wake it up. Um, it's also, because I think some people will just say, oh, blue light is completely bad altogether, but actually how important it is when you wake up to help regulate. And so that when the sun does go down, you're actually ready to go to sleep again, instead of. <laughs> 100%, so um, we were talking about biohacking before, I've been doing it for about five or six years. About three years ago, I started to biohack my sleep. And when you get it dialed in, you actually, and I, my room's pitch black and I make it cold. You actually wake up, even though my room's pitch black, with the sunrise, because your body knows what time it is. But I mean, just imagine, Hunter, having your life and saying, hey man, you're gonna run your life for the next four weeks, but you're never gonna know what time it is, ever. 
you just couldn't function. You couldn't live. You wouldn't know what to do. You wouldn't be in time for a podcast. You wouldn't be able to. So our bodies are doing that. Our bodies are running with these different clocks and these different times. And people are wondering why they're uh, getting run down and why they're getting migraines. It's a big, it's a big part of it. Well, that's funny you said that too. I was actually reading a book. I forget what it was, but um, going back to the Schumann resonance. So they yep. did an experiment, and this sound it's probably had to be a long time ago because it sounds pretty cruel. But they <laughs> people away from the sunlight, but then they blocked the Schumann resonance, um, which is just kind of like our interaction with the ground, the earth, and everything. And yeah. I think they did it for like four weeks, which just sounds like torture to begin with. But the amount of health problems that manifested. They were like irritable, um, yep. just low energy and everything. And that was because their circadian rhythm was lined up. So something like as much as we would try to overcome, yeah, and like try to have all the technology and stuff, um, and then yep. that's going back to like <laughs> ancestral living as much as possible. It always comes back to that. And the biohacks are just tapping into that. So with the blue blocking and everything, I also get my migraine patients to go outside as often as they can throughout the day to reset the circadian rhythms. So blue lights are double whammy. It upsets your circadian rhythms. We know sleep-wake cycles when they're off cause migraines and it directly activates this system in the brains with the trigeminal nerve by the light hitting the back of the retina. So definitely, definitely. You know, people say, what can I do to help? I, I get all my clients onto that program. Yeah, as sunlight goes, is there, like a sweet spot of sunlight exposure that you want to have throughout the day? Obviously, you want it to be a good amount, but is there like doing, is it overdoing it too much? Is there a good sweet spot, certain amount of hours, anything like that? So I always say, look, we were definitely born naked and in the sun, right? So our ancestors cruised around, no clothes, in the sun all day. Sun exposure is not a problem because you can be under a tree all day, or in Sydney, it's winter now, so it's dark at four o'clock. You're not, you can't get sunburned, so sunburn is bad, but light exposure, sorry, let's say natural light exposure rather than sunlight, because sun's got such a bad uh, connotation to it, which I don't believe it should have, but just natural light. Do you think that most people are worried about their children in the middle of winter sitting under a tree and getting sunburned? No, but the benefits of the light that you'd be getting would be huge. So I actually don't think, as long as you're not getting burnt, you can't get too much light exposure. I'm not talking about sun tanning, I'm not talking about burning, but I mean light exposure. Even to the point like just sitting at, at a cafe outside with your shoes off has a lot of benefits. You know, I'm not talking about sun baking on the beach, I'm just talking about light exposure. I don't think you can get too much because every time you do get that light exposure, your circadian rhythms get synced in. And there's a whole bunch of hormones apart from vitamin D which get made in response to sunlight. There's a whole infrared onto the body. So you talked before about red light therapy. The sunlight always has red light no matter what time it is. If you can see sun, it's got red light. So people are like, oh my God, I'd buy a hack of red light, I feel great. But it won't be as perfect as the light that you get outside. And it doesn't have to be the sun, it has to be just outdoor light. It's got lots of infrared in it. And infrared we know powers the mitochondria, which powers your entire body, right? Yeah. Growing up, my dad is a, uh, he's a landscaper and just does construction. So I've worked with him a lot growing up, but I know being outside all day and even just having been an athlete where you spend a lot of time outside during the day, the days I sleep the best 
are the days of the sunlight. And there's nothing like when you're outside for a large portion of the day, how well you sleep and how deep your sleep is uh, versus if you're cooped up in an office or doing something like that all day. Agreed. It's only when you get your sleep dialed in, you realize just how deep and restorative it can be and how crap it was before. Um, sunlight causes endorphins to be released. So happy chemicals. Why is that? Because when you're a caveman, you're not as intelligent as you and I, Hunter, talking so eloquently. How do you know to go outside? Because when you go outside and the sun hits you, you get endorphins to feel happy. If we were designed to be cave dwellers, sunlight wouldn't do it, but darkness would cause endorphins and therefore you'd be naturally attracted to the dark, right? Yeah. So this is how we're designed. The reason you feel so good when you're in the sun, not sunburn, not suntan, but outdoors, is because you're actually making endorphins, which make you happy. Yeah. Yep. And um, why does a healthy tan look healthy? Because we know it's healthy. Why does sickly pally white look sickly pally white? Because it is. Yeah. You can't, you can't avoid like, the natural attraction that we have to someone that is tan versus someone that's not. It's just, it's built in. DNA, <laughs> you know. Exactly, because we're scanning them for how healthy they are to reproduce. It's like shiny hair, it's like a good complexion. You, you're scanning, well, you're supposed to be tanned and, you know, anthropologically, why did we go from, and, you know, there are people that believe in uh, God and creation, that's fine, I respect that, but I, I believe in evolution. And we're pretty certain we came from African stock with very dark skin, and then it went very, very light. Why is that? Well, a lot of the researchers out there are saying that as we travel further north and the sunlight was down, the darker skins couldn't make the vitamin D. They couldn't make some of the other hormones as well, and therefore didn't fare as well in the wild. You know, vitamin D is related to fertility and the immune status. So the very fact that we change skin color might indicate just how important it is for a monkey that has no hair, which is what we are. Yeah. Well, it's funny you said about vitamin D. Um, I think they're actually starting to find, I saw one thing that a lot of the people that are diagnosed with COVID, ones that respond better, you know, don't get as sick, don't end up becoming a casualty, their vitamin D levels are higher. Ones that end up being or getting deathly sick from it, uh, their vitamin D levels are lower, which is obviously playing, it's going to go into the nutrition and everything, but the biggest factor of that is sunlight and then how that interplays to our immune system, which again, goes back to migraines, probably has some sort of effect going on there too. 100% man, like I'm a big, I'm not a big fan of sunburn. I'm a big fan of having naturally high vitamin D levels and we know high vitamin D and fertility and immune system are linked. We, we know that there's a big, I always tell my patients, just Google it, but there's some massive, huge studies, the big longitudinal studies and, they make conclusions like your vitamin D level is correlated to all causes of mortality. So basically these studies, and you know, there are thousands of people saying that the higher you have natural vitamin D levels, the lower the risk of all causes of death. That's a pretty big statement. And that's the conclusions of some of these big studies. So I'm, I'm massive on vitamin D. And again, just because people are listening, not sunburn, but exposure, intelligent exposure. And don't forget, you know, in the morning, I said to my migraine people, go out and get sunlight, make sure it hits, you know, don't stare at the sun, but make sure it hits your eyes, make sure it hits your skin. And people are like, is that bad? Well, in Australia, for the first hour or two, there's, there's no UVA or UVB, it's all infrared. That's why morning sunrise and sunset are orange and red. It's because that's the only colors in them. So it's very, very safe. 
You know, I don't care worried about getting sun exposure at 6 a.m. in the morning when the sun comes up. You can't get burnt then. That's just crazy. Get out into the sun, kids. Have you ever messed around with like in the morning, so looking into the sun, not for a long period of time? Um, yeah, so sun gazing. So what I, yes, I have. So I don't look in the sun. I sit in a way with my dog at the park bench with my shoes off in a way that the sunlight fills my face. Okay. Rather than looking at the sun, but I am conscious of the fact that I am wanting to get sunlight into my eyes, but I don't look at the sun, but I make sure it's in my eyes. So in other words, I don't wear sunglasses at all because I want the light to hit my eyes so my body knows what time it is. Which seems, you know, honestly, six years ago, I wouldn't have said this. I would say, ah, put sunglasses on, you get cataracts. But the more you research and then do yourself, I just got rid of my sunglasses. And what's really interesting is I couldn't leave. If I left my sunglasses at home, I'd go to the petrol station to buy some cheap pair because my eyes were so sensitive to the sun. Now in the middle of the sun, I can go fishing out. In that case, I might put them on because I think that might be bad glare from the from the water, but I don't need to. And I yeah. definitely notice that my eyes don't tear up anymore like they used to. Well, it's funny you brought that up just because of the last few years I have moved away from wearing sunglasses. And people would say, oh, that's crazy. You need to protect your eyes from the sun. What I liken it to, and as a former athlete, they used to try to make us tape our ankles before practice. And I hated it because when you would do it, it would make your ankles actually weaker. And yes, it might in the short term prevent you from like, if you have a freak twist or something to prevent, make it better. But what you're doing in the long term is you're, you're like, it was lessening the strength of the tendons and everything because it was put 100% grade. otherwise. And it's the same thing with the sun, where if you wear sunglasses all the time, you're actually not developing your eye in a way that's like actually able to receive the sunlight and everything and to function better. Um, so I think there's something there too. Now, how will that catch on? I don't know. But, um, I think <laughs> there, there is a massive movement though. There are a, a lot of people biohacking and sun's one of the big ones. Um, so I'll, I'll do a biohack, like there's some places in Sydney where you can, and it's very hot in summer, and there's places you can go and like um, sunbake nude for six hours. Do that for a weekend and see what happens. You, you are just on fire Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You get full sun exposure, which is what you were designed for. It's an amazing biohack, grounded and sunbaking four to six hours. It's just the bee's knees. Well, I wonder about that too. Uh, just because most of the time when people are in the sun, they have clothes on. Uh, luckily, if you're a man, you can have your shirt off. But like actually being completely naked, especially around like our reproductive parts, how that actually get like how often in our world do you actually get sunlight exposure to those parts and how much more beneficial that could be to, especially for a male, something like testosterone production or anything like that. Yeah, well, there's that, there's that really freaky study that often comes up where they flashed um, a UV lamp on the chest one and on the testicle second, and they, they measured very, very significant increases in testosterone production, like I think around 100 to 200% increase. Um, and I'll have to check the books, but I'm pretty sure there's a high concentration of vitamin D receptors on the testicles, and you have to ask, and on the breasts, and you have to ask yourself, well, why are they there? Well, they're there to receive vitamin D. Well, how's that? Well, that's through sunlight. So that would be interesting. And I know they, they've got to do more research, but there was the, um, I think they're called the Amars, and they're the Japanese female oyster divers. So they culturally would be naked throughout their days, 
collecting seaweed and oysters. And um, the health profile on those women was exceptionally good. They're like, like extremely healthy women. They're like real life mermaids. <laughs> I'd like to see some studies done on nudists. People that, um, I mean, go to nudist quality freaks me out because they all look a bit weird to me. But I reckon their health profile would be great because they're barefoot and they're in the sun, naked. Yeah. If you could uh, somehow, if you could tolerate it, usually the people at a nudist colony are not the people you would want to see nude. I didn't want to say that, but <laughs> <laughs> they're like, Ugh. Yeah. yeah, no, I get it. Right. Cool. Well, to kind of uh, wrap things up and stuff, um, where can people go more to learn about you, the migraine stopper, migraines in general? Do you have like website, contact info, all that stuff? Yeah, easy. The easiest thing to do is just Google Migraine Stopper and we'll come up. But the website's www.themigrainestopper.com and you can learn how it works. There's heaps of testimonials. Um, all those people are my patients. So it's really, really cool. And you can tell they're all shot on iPhones. But these are definitely not actors. These are definitely real people. Listen to their stories. Um, and the good thing is, because I can't see the people that are going to buy from my website, see, my patients that come to me, as a chiropractor before I retired, it's like I listen to them for 45 minutes, take the history, and if I couldn't help them, no charge, and I'd send them off to someone that hopefully could help them. So it's the same with the migraine stopper. You can purchase it, and if it doesn't work within 90 days, you send it back and I'll give you a full refund. I'm only interested in helping people I can help, and because I can't talk to you, if it doesn't work, send it back. And I've got a 1300 number and I've got an info at migraine stopper email. You can always ask me any question about uh, migraines. Awesome. Do you have any uh, closing words, any recommendations other than to go get the migraine stopper if people suffer from migraines? Any uh, parting words? Yeah, I think that your health is very important and you should put significant time per week in learning about health and your health and your your individuality. I wouldn't leave it to other people. It's just it's just too important. So get onto Google, get onto a cool podcast like yours, listen, learn, and try things and see just how better you feel. I was generally shocked, particularly with the light manipulation, at how much better I felt. So look after yourself, research, and try some very gentle biohacks and see how you go. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, at the end of the day, the he our health is all we have, and you're in charge of your health. Nobody else is responsible for you other than yourself. So, awesome. Adam, it has been a pleasure. I just learned so much. So, awesome to talk to you. And uh, like I said, everybody should go check out his stuff. Definitely check out Migraine Stopper. I know I will be myself. So, um, with that being said, we will close it out today, and we will talk to you guys soon. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem.